This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. It'll be fine. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors podcast. Woo! Okay, I am your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... J.M. Paquette. And our guest today is Alma Alexander. Woo! Plus cat. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So I am drinking um, uh, Honey Jack with ginger ale in it. I also have my trusty drinking with author's cup with some water as well. Um, Jen, what are you drinking? Water. It's been that kind of day. (laughs) Alma, what are you drinking today? Coffee, as always. Um, if you know, uh, if you know me, the, the the question that you would ask if you if I were ever kidnapped and if you didn't, if you weren't sure it was me, it would be something along the lines of "How's your tea?" And I would, just, if I replied fine, I, you would know that it was the wrong person because I would scroll. Coffee, coffee. I don't drink tea. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. I'm I'm a tea girl myself, but uh, I miss coffee. Okay. Let's, for the fans out there that um, don't know you yet, can you uh, talk a little bit about what you write? Mostly fantasy, um, with forays into other things like um, non-spec literary occasionally and also science fiction. My, my big novel last year in July was my first real serious science fiction novel, which was The Second Star. Um, and that one, that one surprised me actually because, it, like I said, it's my real, seri- it's my first real serious science fiction novel. And um, as a first, it, I obviously did something right because it skated this far from being Amazon number one, which was astounding to me. It didn't last, but it no. got there. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, so I've got, I've got the, I've got the screenshots of the graphs though. That's very cool. I know it's always amazing when you when you get up in those rankings. Let's let's go back in history. When did you start writing? When I could hold a pencil. You could hold a pencil. <laughs> what kind of it's stuff? Long did you write? Um, I was asked that question. This is a story that I tell people that um, that kind of it's it, it happened. When I was still a very green young writer with uh, wet ink behind my ears, kind of, um, and I was I was living in New Zealand, and they they had a tiny little since defunct, which is which was a crying shame, hole in the wall science fiction bookshop that was literally a tiny little room that you went into up a couple of steps off the street. It was just wall to wall science fiction stuff, which was amazing, and I picked up a leaflet in there announcing a science fiction convention and to tell you how absolutely green and wet behind the ears I was I had no idea what a science fiction convention actually what even was it was just oh okay interesting um, what's going on here and the science fiction convention listed on the leaflets uh, specified guests of honor and there were two at that point uh, one of them was Wanda McIntyre whom I didn't know from a bar of soap I'd never read anything of hers at that point and the other one was Roger Zelazny Oh my goodness. And my eyes went out and stalked and I kind of went, what? I have to go to this 
thing. And then I read a bit further and I found out that the two pros would be hosting a writer's workshop for uh, five, five people at that, uh, that con conference convention. And I, and I kind of went home and picked up a story and put it in an envelope and sent it and then spent the next six months going, I sent him that story. Oh my God, Rogers Lasny might read the story. He's going to think I'm an absolute dork. I got in. Oh, wow. I, got in. I, I was one of the five people who got into that workshop and there we all sat, us five who got in perfectly speechless, sitting there in, in the company of these two luminaries. And uh, the format was something along the lines of um, each person would have their turn in the spotlight and the other uh, workshoppers would come up with their opinions and then the two pros would weigh in. And my turn comes along and they all say their thing and Vonda McIntyre hands me back an annotated copy of this story and I mean annotated. This had little scribbles in the margins, in between lines, everywhere, little pencil comments everywhere, just looked completely scary. I learned more about writing from that one single story than I had done from the five years before that. It was just unbelievable detail. And then I turn around, I'm sitting next to Roger Zelazny, who is my literary god. And he's sitting there just looking at me and there's nothing in front of him, no papers, no pages, nothing. And I'm kind of going, oh, <laughs> kind of going, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna do? And he looks at me and he's got these gray eyes and I, and I, well, the way I described them to people later, it's Damascus steel. It just looks straight through you. And he said to me, I have two questions for you. He said, how long have you been writing? Which is a question you just asked me. And I gave him the same answer, basically. I, read, I was writing since I knew how to do it. And I just told stories in my head. Okay. And do you read and or write a lot of poetry? And I had to say guilty to that, too, because my grandfather was a practicing published poet and he weaned me on sonnets. Oh, and, oh. I, and I basically had poetry in my blood since year dot. When I was five years old, I told him once that he, one of his sonnets didn't scan and I was right. It was so incalculated in me, that the rhythms of it, that I can, if you give me the line right now, I, if I find the right rhyme scheme, I can write your sonnet in four minutes flat. Wow. wow. Because I, I just... I just got it in here, the meter, the, 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 and Roger Zelazny looks at me and says, and this is all he said to me on this subject, it shows you write, you have a voice all of your own, no one else will ever write like this. Oh my goodness, you couldn't ask for a better compliment. <clears throat> That's awesome. No, and they basically swept me off the floor into a bucket after that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the thing that, that makes it even, even more amazing is that this was Easter. In June of that year, he was dead. Oh, wow. This was wow. already late into his cancer. So it was literally months before he died. It was that, was that window was already closing fast. And I was just so privileged to be able to get a chance at this. No, I, I, I think there are so many people that would give body parts up to uh, be a part of that situation. I feel body parts are one of the most valuable things you can give up because it's not like you can go around and get those back. You have a car, yeah. go get another car. I mean, um, that's amazing. So what was your first published piece? Uh, I don't even remember. Um, this was so long ago. 
Um, I know I won some sort of national writing award back in the home country when I was maybe 12. And I was writing in my creed language at that point. Um, and then after that, I basically switched on to whole writing in English. English is my second language. What is but your first language? What? What is your first language? Serbian. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I wrote a lot of poetry in that language because that, again, is something that I inherited from my grandfather. So the poetry gene is in that language. I've written a lot of it in English too, but when I started writing poetry, I wrote it in my own language. And the most, the deeply felt poetry I tend to still write in, the, in that language um, because it's just that, that particular place in my brain band that that thing lives. But then I went, uh, we moved out of that country when I was 10 years old and I got picked up by the scruff of my little neck and put down into a playground and I learned English fast. Oh, wow. Yes, I would think so. Um, because you make every mistake precisely once and they tease you to tears about it and you never make it again. And um, at, at some point I was actually, uh, I was actually told that I'd swallowed the English dictionary when I was five because my language level was that high and it's not my first language, but I learned it by osmosis and I think in it and I dream in it and it, it is my first language to that kind of extent. Wow. But it was it was quite interesting to um, to come up with uh, that kind of barricade. Um, I mean, let's let's put it this way. I'm a complete outlier. I'll give you two reasons. One, I, I started learning English properly to speak, to think, to, to talk into it when I was 10 years old. By age 13, I was reading John Goldsworthy and unabridged in the original. Wow. Wow. So and do you... You said you, you write sonnets sometimes in Serbian. Is it e easier to rhyme? Because English is terrible for writing sonnets with that A-B when you have to make it work. It's because it's got so many words that look like each other but don't rhyme at all. Just, you've, got right. to, you've, got to figure, <laughs> you've got to figure out that when you're doing it in English. But then, of course, England, English has something that my language doesn't have so much because Serbian is completely phonetic and you don't get this kind of wordplay happening very often. Puns are English, and I'm a punaholic. You give me a straight line, I'll twist it six ways till Sunday. I once had a pun contest online with somebody, like a back and forth, a back and forth on, on, a, on an email or on a group, as it were, which lasted for a week. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> neither of us would give up, and we just kept on going. And Here's Anthony would be proud of that, the pun king that he is. So what... What did you, what do you remember first publishing from a, a book standpoint, not just poems or sonnets, but from a, a an actual fiction? What was your first fiction story that you remember publishing? My first actual book was a collection of, um, okay, uh, let's, let's backtrack a little bit here. Um, have you ever heard of London Magazine? Yeah. At the time that I decided to exercise my unlimited stores of chutzpah and submit a story to London Magazine, um, it was helmed by an extraordinary character called Alan Ross. And he was, he had been the editor of this thing for as long as anyone could remember. Oh, wow. And I sent him the story. And he, what he used to do at this point, this was long before all the electronic stuff, he used to respond to things by writing postcards. And um, back came a postcard from London Magazine 
saying, sorry, but we can't take this. We need more detail in the story. And for most young writers, that would have been that. Yours truly wrote back, what kind of detail would you like? Back, you came, another another postcard. Postcard. back came another postcard saying only, we'll take it. Oh, wow. And he published the story, or he, he bought the story, and then a little while later, I got another postcard. It said, um, well, we, we, sorry for the delay, but what we're doing right now is we're putting together a hardcover book which uh, contains a bunch of stories which were not published in the magazine for the 30th anniversary of, or something for the magazine. I forget which anniversary it was, 30th or 50th or something like that. Um, hang on a second. We may have a copy of it here. Yeah, here we go. It's this, ugh, it's this thing, and it's called Signals. Oh, wow. And basically, the postcard said, would you mind if we used your story in this book instead? No, actually. I, I, yeah, that would mind a lot. You, you can't use I basically just said, do it, please. So my story appeared in this book, which was published. I'm trying to remember the year. Which was published back in... 91. Oh, wow. So this thing, so that was my first kind of really big publication. God, cat, you're shedding. Um, so, uh, and that book, that story, then landed me an agent. Oh, wow. And the agent then sent me, <laughs> not a postcard, <laughs> a letter, saying that three of my stories were going to be published in a book. And I kept on hearing that three of my stories are going to be published in a book, like three of my stories and other stories are going to be published in a book. And it was a while before it penetrated what she was saying is, no, you, your book, your three stories are going to be published in a book, your three, you, just you. Oh, wow. So um, Longman in UK uh, published this collection of um, three fairy tales, which was my first published book. What was the name of it? I'll show you that one too. <laughs> We're getting a tour. For the for the people listening to this podcast, you really should subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is so entertaining. So during these little blips, you get to see all this. Oh, here it is. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that is awesome. I love that cover. This little thing with three fairy tales, it got illustrated. I mean, look at these things. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. It, well, there's a couple of interesting things about this book. It had nine printings. Oh, wow. Well done. Well done. It basically, uh, it, was, it was last published in 2004. First published 1995, ninth impression 2004. So it kept on going. And I kept on having these little, little trickles of royalties kept on coming in. Like, couple of pounds at a time. The other thing is that this was Longman, and this was an educational publisher. Oh, wow. And there's a generation, this was used in schools, and there's a generation of British school children who hates my guts because they get questions of, <laughs> what did the author mean by, I just wrote three fairy tales. That's all I did. It's actually weird because uh, coming full circle to the last book that I published was this. Which just came out a couple of days ago, and um, it's a collection of fairy tale like things, um, and it includes these three stories actually. 
Oh, that's beautiful. So, um, and what is the name of that one that just came out? Sorry, that. What is the name of the one that just came out? Fractured Fairy Tales. Very cool. And it's actually a, a collection of fairy tale uh, stories that are made up out of whole cloth in here uh, of retellings, which you will recognize the base story of, but which are wearing very different clothes in here. Like, for example, my Little Red Riding Hood is a PI who's literally hunting a wolf. Um, Awesome. Th things like that. And then the third category is um, things that are fairy tale like, which have some kind of uh, je ne sais quoi fairy tale touch that just makes them feel fairy tale like. You know how I recognize the trope of a fairy tale when you see it. So, that so, awesome. so there's, there's, a, there's a very broad range of fairy tales in here. Very. So, have you, have you been a full time writer this whole time or? 20 years yeah wow awesome. is you obviously you're writing when you were younger is this what you wanted to be when you grew up you're like i'm gonna be a writer that's one of those questions that i come back with i never wanted to be a writer i was one i love it <laughs> i love, I love it. it i love it so what about your first full-length um novel what was well that? um that's another story that's that's um, that's happening that my I have a degree in science. I have a master's degree in molecular biology. And the, the way that I knew that this wasn't going to be a permanent thing is that I was writing a fantasy novel in the lab. Um, and <laughs> while I was waiting for, waiting for all the experiments to cook and, and happen, I'm just sitting in the corner writing my fantasy. What turned up in that fantasy was this stuff. And oh, this wow. is the New Zealand, New Zealand edition of what turned out to be a duology. But this was a book, except that I went into the publisher and I looked, and he looked at a 240,000-word monstrosity by somebody who really didn't, didn't know from Madam. He says, let's split that puppy into two. So they split the puppy into two. This was republished in the States in this edition. Oh, Wow. And the, what is the name of that one? Um, the original story was called Changer of Days. Then the, the, the uh, U.S. publisher decided to re retitle the first one by committee, The Hidden Queen, and the second one remained The Changer of Days. And then the publisher, in their wisdom, made number two go out of print. Oh, no. And so I had this one, half a book, which now ended on a humongous cliffhanger which wasn't supposed to happen and the second book is out of print and you can't get it and people are writing to me and saying where's the second book and i'm saying i'm desperately trying to get the rights back to the first book so i can actually do the something with them it took me seven years to get back the rights to the first book i finally got them this year this last year in october and i'm, I'm actually putting together a 20th anniversary edition of this book in a single volume like it should have been in the first place <laughs> i love that i love that that is very awesome that is so cool though is it is it um you were one of the first authors i've actually asked this question to what's it like being published in different countries 
extremely weird, especially when you get something like, and this is me turning into a show and tell, sorry. No, it's fine. It's, Are you it's awesome. Awesome. When, you, when you get a book like this. Oh, which, oh wow. Which is Hebrew. Which is upside down and inside out, and you basically not you're supposed to be reading this book this way around, but it's not that way around. It's the other way. You, you kind of how do you read this book? It's, it doesn't work that way. It's this, no, wait a minute, it's it's backwards. They read it the other way, so you don't do it like if this is upside down. This is how you read it. Oh it's wow! It's just weird, and the idea that my little little book and my heroine are suddenly spouting Hebrew at each other is mind blowing to me. Do you have any say over like translations or anything or does it just happen really. and they let you know? I don't speak the language. This, this book came out in, in weird languages like uh, Turkish and Hebrew and Catalonian. And Catalonian is actually Spanish with a bad case of French spelling, the best I can see. But did, you just did, they you, did they send you copies of all the different languages? Yeah, I've got them sitting here. I'm staring at them. I've got all these weird languages sitting there staring. Portuguese editions are beautiful. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, so you appeared to go traditional. At some point, did you start self-publishing? Um, at some point, I kind of went hybrid and then went smaller presses and some self. Um, I was part of the 2008 publishing bloodbath in New York. Oh. Um, at that point, I had um, a series happening um, with a big New York publisher. And I thought that my editor was reasonably safe because she was a senior editor at, um, at the young adult wing in that, uh, in that house. And I, was, and I thought she was safe because she was big enough to be safe, but she wasn't. I lost the editor. The editor who followed her kind of sort of knew something about it. And then he decided to abscond to a different publishing house. So I lost him. And the third editor knew nothing about the series and didn't really care. Um, I lost four publicists in the same period. By the end of this, um, the third book in this series came out in hardcover, was supposed to come out in paperback, but never did. And of course, the sales were ridiculous because nobody was bothering promoting these things at all. They just got published and dropped into a big bottomless pit. And then I wrote with the book number four in that series and I went with a small press for all of them, reissued all of them, um, just to, to get the whole thing out there again because the, the others were, were long out of print, hard to find. And it was a good, it, it had, um, amongst other things, it had Nikola Tesla as a full-fledged character, which was a great deal of fun to write. That's awesome. I actually went to New York at one point, um, partly because of the research, and I ended up staying in the New Yorker Hotel in Nikola Tesla's room. Oh, wow. That had to be fun. Yeah, it was. Um, I actually had the, the ski that had the room number that Nikola Tesla lived and died, and I was going, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess the most important question on that is, is the room haunted by, by Tesla? If it is, I didn't get a visitation. I did get a bunch of pigeons landing on the windows, though, which may or may not have been him coming back. Oh, wow. That's true. That's true. Or the reincarnation of his, his uh, pigeon. 
The pigeons played a large part in in, uh, in the books as well. Oh wow! So did you write in the room? Is that what you stayed there for? Is to write? No, there was I was still doing research for that particular volume, and I was talking with the guy who um, some some kind. Of, I'm trying to remember what he was, but he was some kind of a, a administration head honcho for the New Yorker Hotel. And he was clearly very used to people bearding him and talking to him about Tesla. And I got a lot of, and he, we were sitting in the little diner at the bottom of the hotel and, and, uh, and, and talking about this. And uh, the, the manager of the hotel came wandering by and this guy introduced me as a writer. He was writing about Nikola Tesla and all I could all but see going. <sighs> <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> Here, this here. is a hotel. This is not the only person who ever stayed here. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my so goodness. That was interesting. I, oh gosh, I believe it. Okay, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. you're talking about our fantasy and now sci-fi books what does your research look like because you talked about going to new york what were you researching for your book when you were there well for that particular one um well i was setting the book partly in new york and i wanted to make sure that it had a certain amount of authenticity um and i really did want to visit the new yorker because this was where he was he was he was attached to this as a, as a personality. And of course there were the pigeons and Brian Park and, and all that. So those are the places I went to visit were the places that that played a role in um, in his own world and his own life. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was getting those right. Um, when it came to other things, um, I, I wrote uh, one novel that I think I read about 40 books for before I started writing the novel. It was just well, very research. Well, um, the, the, the one that I showed you, the Hebrew one, is The Secrets of Jin Shei. Um, that was my first lush historical fantasy type of thing. Um, the novel that came after that as a sort of a, it's not a sequel, it's a follow-up, but it's a standalone as well as, as that. I mean, you, you probably need to know something about what's going on in the Jin Shea book, but this is a standalone book that takes place in the same country, but 400 years later. Oh, wow. And uh, if the first novel was inspired by Imperial China, its follow-up was roughly uh, landing around about the time of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And this was an interesting conundrum because I was no longer reinventing a distant past. I was now writing about a historical past, which a lot of people know about or even lived. And um, the, the research for that was huge. I mean, I read everything that I could lay my hands on. I read 
obviously not primary sources, I don't read Chinese, but things that were translated directly from um, histories, biographies, um, memoirs, letters, everything that I could get hold of. And half the time I was thinking I couldn't invent half the stuff, half the cruel things that the human being is capable of inflicting on another. Because some of the stuff that was going on in that era back there is mind-blowing. And um, I, I mean, I literally couldn't use some of the things because you don't put that in a work of fiction and pretend that it, you know, it is invented. It's, it's not. It was real to somebody. So I did a lot of, lot of research for that one. Wow. I, how do you, how do you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was, like, how do you fi figure out when you're done researching and you're ready to write? Like, what's the process? What, 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 what's oh, your threshold? You're never done researching. Okay. You basically just keep on going. I mean, it's a rabbit hole. I mean, I'll go into a, there's a, there's a particular uh, secondhand bookshop um, in town here, which was part of the reason why we moved to this place. Um, and the front of it is just like a narrow little frontage, but it goes back a full city block. And it's it's basically wall-to-wall -wall shelves with books on them, and, and in between there, in, in intervening shelves with other books on them, just stuffed with books. And I occasionally go in there for no other reason than just to wander at random and just go, oh, this one looks interesting. Maybe I'll write a book about this at some point. I've got all kinds of interesting proto-research books that are sitting in my bookshelves now, which may or may not evolve into something eventually. But when I was doing the research for this particular second China book, um, that was one of the places that I went to. And I just went to their, the particular section that I was looking for. And I just kept on pulling out stuff that I could use this and I can use that and I can use this. Here I am. I've got five books or ten books. And... <laughs> Research is a never-ending thing. It's it's quite a lot of um, fun when you start going deep, but it's really hard to stop. It, it's really yes. hard to stop. We were because having that conversation earlier today with um, one of the writers that works with us, and she said she literally we were we were working on other things, all of us independently. We we're on a call, and she goes. Do you know what kind of ink they would have used 400 years ago to write on something? And Vellum, papyrus. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? And she's like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of writing. She's like, I know that I can go down a complete rabbit hole. And look at the cat's like, hi, you need to pay attention to me right now. Oh. But... It was funny because she asked the question and I think we all stopped and went, wait, what? And she's like, I'm like, did you, did you Google it? And she's like, well, I started to, but I know that I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And I'm like, how vital is this for the story that you know this exact thing? And uh, it was amazing. But it was one simple question about pen ink. Pen ink. Yeah, well, um, you get all kinds of interesting things going on. Like in the, the Secrets of Jin Shei, I had one of the characters dabbling in alchemy. And um, I was looking at things that I could come up with in terms of factoids about alchemy because I knew a lot about it, but not enough detail to make it happen. So I started researching alchemy and discovered that there was a whole branch of Chinese alchemy I never knew existed that just waited for me there to pick it up and run with it. Oh wow! Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your fans. 
So when did you have your first encounter with a fan? There was one time that I was at a con. Um, this, was, this was years um, after I published the famous duology in New Zealand. And I was in an elevator with, and there was a couple of other people there. And one of them was a New Zealand writer who was there all the way from New Zealand. And I didn't really know her. I just sort of recognized the name, but I didn't know her at all. And she, we introduced each other and she kind of suddenly went, oh, you're the one who wrote Change Your Days. <laughs> that was quite fun. Um, that's got to be, you know, when you have that first moment of uh, uh, somebody recognizing you, I think that's pretty awesome, especially because I think writers more so than almost any other sort of celebrity type where we, we sit in front of a computer or a typewriter or whatever, that's where we're located and in bookstores and libraries. So, and especially, I mean, more so the images are out there now that we have the internet and all the social medias, but that wasn't the case always. Like there was a picture on the back cover, but it's not like a lot of writers I think get facial recognition so much as I'm the writer of blah. Yeah. Right. Do you get a lot of fan mail? Um, intermittently. Um, it, it comes in waves. It's actually weird. There, there are times I get nothing for months, for practically years, and all of a sudden there's 20 things that come out of nowhere. Um, people just pick these things up in groups, I suppose. I don't know. Um, it comes in waves, and, and all of a sudden, there's a bunch of emails that are sitting there, or a note that comes in. I don't know where they get my address from, but sometimes they, they send me things. Um, I actually got uh, people know I'm a coffee holic, okay? Um, and there was one particular uh, time that I said something online about, oh dear God, I thought I had a bunch of coffee in the back of the closet, but I think I'm running out of coffee. And I got a package of coffee. Oh. Oh, that wow. Was nice. Somebody. No note, no nothing. There was just a package of coffee that rocked up on my doorstep saying, coffee here. And it's like, okay. Nobody ever owned up to it. Just somebody read that I was running out of coffee and basically sent me coffee. That only sounds wildly <laughs> dangerous. It was your neighbor. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody, I really don't somebody know. who knows you personally. Could have been dynamite or anthrax, but they decided coffee was more appropriate. I don't know. Well, so where, where are you on flavored coffee? Uh, yeah, okay. Just coffee. Coffee with milk in it. That's about as flavored as I get. Wow. I'll drink lattes, but you know, coffee with milk in it is about as flavored as I'd get. I don't like all the hazelnuts and the and the vanillas and you know that kind. Of, I I want my coffee, thank you. <laughs> you want coffee flavored coffee? Want coffee flavored coffee? I was having a whole conversation with somebody yesterday, no, two days ago, about pumpkin spice. Yeah, no. <laughs> a, a lot of people don't realize you can buy pumpkin spice Starbucks flavoring at Target during pumpkin spice season so if you're really addicted to it stock up and then you can have pumpkin spice lattes till the cows come home so there's pumpkin spice k-cups yeah it's it's easy so um what is your favorite fan moment that you've had though well um one book signing that i had when the jinshe book first came out and um, this was 
not really local, but not that far away from where I live. It's like a couple of hours drive from where I am. There's a little town called Leavenworth. I don't know if you heard about it. Not the prison. Hey, <laughs> isn't there a prison there? The other Leavenworth. This is a little Bavarian town in uh, the Cascades, and it's it's basically uh, it's 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 a very kitsch place, and it's like it's full of Bavarian little card facades and Bavarian restaurants, and it's a very theme park kind of thing. But they have a very nice bookshop, and somehow I ended up doing a book signing there. And um, this woman came up with a copy of The Secrets of Jin Shea, and she asked if I would sign it to her adopted Chinese daughter. Oh. Which was a compliment by itself, um, over and above anything else. And I asked for the child's name and asked to spell it, and she gave it all to me, and I wrote it all down. And I handed it back to her, and she said, thank you so much. I'm going to keep this and give it to her when she's old enough. And I'm kind of going... How old is she now? Well, I'm going to give it to her when she's about 15, she said. And I said, how old is she now? And she said, three. Oh, wow. The idea that that book was some kind of a treasure that was being kept for this child to, ow, to, to learn about um, when she was old enough to, to read the book. It, I, was, I was practically in tears <laughs> about the whole thing. No, that's amazing. I think, you know, I have you, a lot of authors that we've talked to have gotten fan mail and stuff about the impact the books have had upon them. You know what I mean? How it, it, it did something that helped them through a dark period or... You I've know, had those too. I've had a bunch of, I had a book that came out as an omnibus edition called The Weir Chronicles, which is three books, The Random Wolf and Shifter. And I'm finally using my scientific background because in these books, I literally posit a scientific genetic way that where creatures can exist and they can. Oh, wow. It's possible. It's, absolutely, it's actually possible. And my, my supervisor for my master's degree actually said to me, the science is as good as it gets. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great compliment. Yay, your degree is useful in the writing. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> these books um, deal with a lot of difficult things. They deal with uh, displacement. They deal with bullying. They deal with discrimination. And at least one young reader found a voice to tell her parents that this was happening to me. This is happening to me now. Oh, wow. That is a, that's a huge impact. So um, I was very humbled by the fact that somebody found that much truth in this. That's, that is phenomenal. Powerful, yeah. Have other, the other interesting thing that happened was that I wrote a story that I sent in for a competition at some point. And it was a BBC thing. And it was a very highfalutin. And they um, actually had a story that fit that particular thing. So I just said it in. It was a story told from a point of view of a blind person. Oh. And I got um, a fan mail, if you like. You were speaking about fan mail earlier. I got a fan mail from a complete stranger who said, would you please just settle an argument with me and my friend because we want to know whether you, have, whether you are, in fact, or have ever been blind. Oh, my gosh. That's a huge compliment. Yeah. It was enormous. It was, it was huge. I mean, I obviously got something very right there. Yes. No. And that's that's amazing. 
because I think that's one thing as writers, obviously we have the creative and all of that and you can do research, but when you can really um, in become those characters and communicate from their view truly and um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like uh, honestly, and it's, it's them and it communicates to people like that. I think that's amazing. I think that's truly a gift. Um, so how many books total do you have published? More than 20. I'm trying to count them now in my head. More than 20. I'm about 20, 23 now, I think. That is awesome. And so you just said you just now released another book. When, when did you release that? 6th of April. Very oh, cool. Just. So what are you working on now? Well, I'm trying to put together a 20th anniversary edition of this massive fantasy thing. And to do that, I'm going to go through it because this was written 20 years ago. And I've probably learned a few things along the way. So I'm going to go through it and I'm going to re-edit it and re-put it back into shape and put that out. Um, I haven't really, I've been, I've been putting together this uh, fairy tale thing. There's a couple of original stories that went in there that was written directly for that book. So I've been doing those. I've got massive things in the back burner, but I haven't been writing very much in the last six months or so since my husband got sick and, and um, I just basically just everything went away and I'm trying to get back into that kind of frame of mind. But he was also my first reader and my first editor, and now he's gone. I don't know how I'm going to do this anymore. I'm going to learn how to write all over again. Well, we're, we are sorry for your loss. Originally, we were going to have you on the podcast previously. Um, do you have a group of writers that you interact with? Do you, have you made a lot of writer friends along your journey? Yeah, and it's amazing how many of them are, are, are names that become real people um, who you meet and you, whose books you read and you kind of meet that person and you become friends, I suppose, with them. Um, people like John Scalzi and people like Mary Urbanette Cowell and people like uh, oh, Robert Sawyer and, and all the big names in the, 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 the industry and all of a sudden you meet them and you're, you're corresponding with them and... and when you go to a convention, you're having lunches with them and um, things like that. And of course, when you, when you start doing things like we we took a friend of mine as a convention newbie uh, to one of the local conventions in Seattle, and this was illustrated very graphically because we were all waiting to be seated for the the banquet, and um, we were all waiting in line. And all of a sudden, this friend of mine just eyes just grew the size of saucers, and he says, "Oh my God." Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell are having an argument right behind me. <laughs> That's funny. And I mean, for, for someone, you know, Larry Niven is Larry Niven. I mean, he's, you know, bigger than, larger than life. He's, he's a big name. And all of a sudden, there's this man right behind you whose name happens to be Larry Niven, who's arguing in a very human way with the guy next to him. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well... Wow. I follow John Scalzi on Twitter, and he, he posts his burritos. <laughs> I can't. Scalzi's an odd duck, and I like him a lot. Um, he's just, he's very hip. Um, he doesn't really give quarter to anybody. He's just himself, and he's, 
take him or leave him. That's who he is, and I love that. Well, that is, yeah. I think I think writers are some of the, you know, when I decided to do this podcast over a year ago, and I was like, I'm going to interview writers. I have just found them to be some of the most enjoyable humans to interact with, like yourself, because you have these creative minds that do these epic worlds and this epic um, writing prowess. And some of them, you know, have more books than I can even imagine writing in a lifetime. And they are so fun to interact with. Like your stories are amazing. And New Zealand, I'm like, I'm jealous. I like it jealous. And it's, it's really fun. And when you interact with them, they're they're like yeah it's nice to meet and you talk to writers about having their fan interactions and i think fans sometimes think oh my goodness i shouldn't go up there i shouldn't talk about it and as writers most of the time i will say not every single person but we're like yes come talk to us come ask us the questions about our worlds come ask us the question you about you our get, you, get the, you get connections with people with the craziest things i mean I was, for a while before it became kind of Martin's blackjack quit, um, I, was, I was writing reviews for um, a website that's kind of since gone bye-bye, but it, it was quite active for a long time, and people were writing lots of reviews of science fiction stuff on it, and I just got on board, and I was writing a bunch of stuff. And let me put it this way, I don't pull punches. Um, I, I will write an honest review. And if I like a book, I'm going to say that. And I'm going to praise the book because such and such and such and such. If I don't like a book, I'm going to say that. And I'm going to give you reasons why I didn't like it. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to damn with faint praise. And I'm not going to not write a review because I didn't like the book because that's dishonest to both readers and writers. Um, I, I mean, honestly, uh, sometimes a bad reading is so subjective. And there's so many writers and readers. And there's somebody for every book. If I didn't like it, doesn't mean that you won't like it, but this is a reason why I didn't like it. And if these reasons don't matter to you, you might like it. So I wrote this one review and it wasn't a good one. Um, I wrote this one, um, one review and it was a bit of a hatchet job. Um, but I had good reasons. I actually quoted stuff from there saying, this is why I'm saying these things. And in the aftermath of that review, about 40 people <laughs> wrote to me and said, this was wonderful, thank you for saying it. Um, and two of those people remained friends now for a decade or longer. And one of those people who happened to own a boat, uh, when my father died seven years ago, um, my mom and I went on his boat and he took us out in the Puget Sound to scatter my father's ashes. Oh, wow, that is awesome that you have so that connection. This is somebody who became a friend um, over the years. Did you ever hear from the author of that book? No, because authors rightly don't really engage or shouldn't really engage with reviewers. Once a book is written, it's, it's, it's out there and it's not your property anymore. It's a reader's property. And I always say that if somebody doesn't hate your book, not enough people are reading you. That's a good That's way to look good, at it. Yeah. I, I, I say that regularly that you can be in a room with a hundred people and a hundred people could love your book or a hundred people could hate your book or 20 of them are like mad, 20 of them love it. Like it, 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 again, I think if you're giving an honest review with details and not just like one star didn't like it, 
It's that's not. No, that's, that's not a review. That's just an opinion. And I take that with about as much as it's worth, which is very little. Um, if you have a reason to do it, if you write an honest in-depth uh, and how should I put this without sounding that I'm being highfalutin educated review about it. I mean, if you if you are if you're right if you if you're writing a review from a point of view, of, yes, I've read a hundred books in this genre, and this is what works, and this is what doesn't work, and this is why. Uh, you know, it's it's valuable. It's it's a valuable commodity to have somebody who might not you know praise the book to the skies. It, not every book is a five star book. I mean, I'm surely that should be self evident. No, it's true, but I, you know, and I, I think what you're saying is completely accurate. Not every book is a five-star book, and not every book is a five-star book for the reader that's reading it. You know, that's a, a huge part is you can um, find that some reviewers, especially if you did a lot of reviews, if a reader finds that they generally, 95% of the time, agree with the books that you like, then they can follow you as a reviewer and go, I'm generally probably going to like the books Alma likes, or I'm not going to, right? Exactly. You, but, you, start, you, kind of, you get to respect the opinion of the guy who's pre-reading the books for you. Um, and if you, if you like it or not, if that person likes it or doesn't like it, you become, your, your views become attuned to somebody. And, whether, and you know that this is the sort of thing that this person likes or doesn't like, and this is the sort of thing that I like or don't like, and therefore... If, if that person writes a review of a book that I never heard of, then I'm going to take it as um, as a way that you know this person is has opinions that are similar to mine, and I'm going to trust that. Whether you know if I can pick up a book from a writer that I've never heard of because this guy liked it and he he likes the stuff that I like. Exactly, so. I think that's a brilliant use of reviews versus going through the reviews and you know it's interesting is when I read reviews on almost anything right uh, I was um, I was looking at a review for a pillow the other day to sit up in bed because I broke my leg so I have to sit up in bed that's why I'm kind of couch here and I was looking and I realized the thing I was looking for is anybody describing that they were tall I'm six feet tall so I want to hear from somebody who's not 5'8 telling me how comfortable this pillow is because 5'8 is not going to be comfortable for somebody six foot tall. So you have to use reviews of anything, I think, based on what really you're looking for, not just scrolling to go, oh, this person gave it three stars. You got to go, well, why did this person give it three stars? And then the thing, I think a lot of people don't realize, at least like on Amazon and some of the other places, you can look up the person doing the reviews to see what else they reviewed. Yep. And see if there was one time that a friend of mine got a, a really kind of weird review from somebody and she did exactly that and discovered that the woman who reviewed her book in that weird way had done a hundred reviews on Amazon of things like uh, kitchen gadgets and earrings and cleaning products and what have you, and two, count them, two book reviews, one of which was this weird one. So take that with a pinch of salt. I mean, this, this person is not really a reader, is she? No, yeah. exactly. And I think that's important to be able to look up those things. And also, you know, do you, um, do you read your reviews? Uh, I kind of glance at them. I don't follow them or anything like that. If I see one, I'll look at it. If it's, 
I mean, it's nice to get somebody who gets the book and who writes a nice review about it. And it was just a, a recent one that came up um, on Amazon for the weird book that just came up with a, a really nice little reader review saying, this is a unique take. I've never read anything like this in this genre before. I'm like, <laughs> You're like, but it's, it. <laughs> it's kind of nice to get little little high fives out of nowhere like that. I mean, those are nice. No, totally. You oh. kind of learn to, to live with the one star ones. You're going to get them. This is part of the course. Somebody out there is going to take one look at this thing. This is not my cup of tea. I mean, I've found those books myself. No, but, no, I, 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 I'm a firm believer. We, we talked about this on the show before, but if, if it is not your type of book, don't leave a review. You're not a, a helpful reviewer if it's not your type of book. Or if you really want to leave a review, leave a review that says not my cup of tea. But if it's not your book, you're not going to do justice reviewing the book. If it it's is your never, book, yeah, It's um, never Alma's cup of reviews, tea. The reviews that always get me is the ones that translate into some sort of, this is not the book I would have written kind of thing. And to those people, I basically say, well, go and write your own book then. <laughs> exactly. Have at it. You can self-publish. Go for it. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the podcast, this, this um, uh, episode. Can you tell us what advice you would give writers out there? Read. And essentially, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Read everything. If you run out of books, and you shouldn't be able to. I've got 5,000 books in this house alone, probably. Um, and I'm never going to run out of things to read. But if you run out of books, read the phone book. Read the cereal box. Read. Read. Get into words until they close over your head and drown you. Read. I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. Tell people where to find you. How do they find your books and all of that stuff? What is the best way to... To look you up um i've got a website at almalexander.org and please note dot org somebody hijacked.com and you find that if you, if you go there you're going to find chinese dog food or something um i'm not sure what happened there but i'm at dot org almalexander.org that's my website um it's kind of uh, been in limbo for a little while i'm trying to keep it up and just Put another blog entry up there which is going to happen on wednesday so i'm keeping that up but that's the place to go to and and find out all about my books and what have you i've also got a facebook author page <clears throat> i'm on twitter i've got a patreon which is linked to on my website if anybody wants to uh come and help me feed that cat that you just saw clinging to me <laughs> blackjack right blackjack who is a one-eyed um, ex-feral love bug that you just saw him, and he basically just sits in my lap and purrs in my ear. But sometimes, he's an extreme cat. Sometimes you just need a cat to sit in your lap and purr in your ear. Both of my cats are feral cats that were found, and they love my boyfriend and not me as much. So I, he's decided it's because he's closest to a cat of the two of us. <laughs> Well, um, we had we had adopted two kittens, a bonded pair, a uh, long time ago, and one of them was my heart's darling, my little Boboko, who I've never had a connection with an animal like I've had with that cat. I walked in and it was like, you're mine. Oh. He left us 
he left us too young. Um, I had to say goodbye to him many years ago now, but you just have a cat sometimes that finds you. This was my cat. And it took me a year before I had a, any kind of inkling that, that I could get another cat, which was Blackjack. Blackjack sort of came in into his footsteps. And I think he realizes that he is, it is necessary for him to perform certain functions. And occasionally he does this. He just comes along and doesn't let go of me, just clings. Oh, that is that is very sweet of him. You have been an amazingly fun guest. You have such an adventurous story. I love it so much. It's awesome. I'm, I'm super excited. very happy you finally made it onto your post podcast. <laughs> we did we did a bit of a phone tag thing <laughs> for a while, but yeah, no, and I'm so glad you're here too. You've been thoroughly amazing. I'm super excited to read these werewolf books, actually, because I love the idea of the science behind how to make that happen. So This is what that looks like. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Cool. That is very awesome. I'm going to be getting that book. Okay. You have been thoroughly amazing. This has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Damn the cat. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>